0: Section 23 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Henry. The Story of Allah ad or The Wonderful Lamp, Part 8. The African magician, full of hopes of his expected happiness, rather flew than ran, and returned quickly with the wine. The princess, not doubting but he would make haste, put with her own hand the powder Allah ad had given her into the cup set apart for that purpose. They sat down at the table opposite to each other, the magician's back towards the sideboard. The princess presented him with the best at the table, and said to him, "'If you please,' i will entertain you with a concert of vocal and instrumental music but as we are only two i think conversation may be more agreeable this the magician took as a new favour after they had eaten some time the princess called for some wine drank the magician's health and afterwards said to him indeed you had a full right to commend your wine since I never tasted any so delicious. "'Charming princess,' said he, holding in his hand the cup which had been presented to him. "'My wine becomes more exquisite by your approbation.' "'Then drink my health,' replied the princess. "'You will find I understand wines.' He drank the princess's health, and returning the cup said— i think myself fortunate princess that i reserved this wine for so happy an occasion and own i never before drank any in every respect so excellent when they had each drunk two or three cups more the princess who had completely charmed the african magician by her civility and obliging behaviour gave the signal to the slave who served them with wine bidding her bring the cup which had been filled for her and at the same time bring the magician a full goblet when they both had their cups in their hands she said to him i know not how you express your loves in these parts when drinking together with us in china the lover and his mistress reciprocally exchange cups and drink each other's health at the same time she presented to him the cup which was in her hand and held out her hand to receive his he hastened to make the exchange with the more pleasure because he looked upon this favour as the most certain token of an entire conquest over the princess which raised his rapture to the highest pitch before he drank he said to her with the cup in his hand indeed princess we africans are not so refined in the art of love as you chinese and your instructing me in a lesson i was ignorant of informs me how sensible i ought to be of the favour done me i shall never lovely princess forget my recovering by drinking out of your cup that life which your cruelty had it continued must have made me despair of the princess who began to be tired with this impertinent declaration of the african magician interrupted him and said let us drink first and then say what you will afterwards At the same time she set the cup to her lips, while the African magician, who was eager to get his wine off first, drank up the very last drop. In finishing it he had reclined his head back to show his eagerness, and remained some time in that state. The princess kept the cup at her lips, till she saw his eyes turn in his head, when he fell backwards lifeless on the sofa. The princess had no occasion to order the private door to be opened to Allah ad Deen, for her women were so disposed from the great hall to the foot of the staircase that the word was no sooner given that the African magician was fallen backwards than the door was immediately opened. As soon as Allah ad Deen entered the hall, he saw the magician stretched backwards on the sofa. The princess rose from her seat and ran overjoyed to embrace him. "'But he stopped her and said, "'Princess, it is not yet time. "'Oblige me by retiring to your apartment, "'and let me be left alone a moment, "'while I endeavour to transport you back to China, "'as speedily as you were brought from thence.' "'When the princess, her women and eunuchs, "'were gone out of the hall, deen shut the door, "'and going directly to the dead body of the magician, "'opened his vest, took out the lamp.' which was carefully wrapped up, as the princess had told him, and unfolding and rubbing it, the genie immediately appeared. "'Genie,' said Allah ad "'I have called to command thee, on the part of thy good mistress, this lamp, "'to transport this palace instantly into China, "'to the place from whence it was brought hither.' The genie bowed his head in token of obedience, and disappeared." Immediately the palace was transported into China, and its removal was only felt by two little shocks, the one when it was lifted up, the other when it was set down, and both in a very short interval of time. Allah ad went to the princess's apartment, and embracing her said, I can assure you, princess, that your joy and mine will be complete to-morrow morning. The princess, guessing that Alla ad must be hungry, ordered the dishes, served up in the great hall, to be brought down. The princess and Allah ad ate as much as they thought fit, and drank of the African magician's old wine, during which time their conversation could not be otherwise than satisfactory, and then they retired to their own chamber. From the time of the transportation of Alla ad deen's palace, the princess's father had been inconsolable for the loss of her he could take no rest and instead of avoiding what might continue his affliction he indulged it without restraint before the disaster he used to go every morning into his closet to please himself with viewing the palace he went now many times in the day to renew his tears and plunge himself into the deepest melancholy by the idea of no more seeing that which once gave him so much pleasure, and reflecting how he had lost what was most dear to him in this world. The very morning of the return of Alla ad palace, the Sultan went, by break of day, into his closet to indulge his sorrows. Absorbed in himself, and in a pensive mood, he cast his eyes towards the spot, expecting only to see an open space. But perceiving the vacancy filled up, at first imagined the appearance to be the effect of a fog. Looking more attentively, he was convinced beyond the power of doubt it was his son-in-law's palace. Joy and gladness succeeded to sorrow and grief. He returned immediately into his apartment, and ordered a horse to be saddled and brought to him without delay, which he mounted that instant, thinking he could not make haste enough to the palace. Allah ad deen, who foresaw what would happen, rose that morning by daybreak, put on one of the most magnificent habits his wardrobe afforded, and went up into the hall of twenty-four windows, from whence he perceived the sultan approaching, and got down soon enough to receive him at the foot of the great staircase, and to help him to dismount. Allah ad deen, said the sultan, I cannot speak to you till I have seen and embraced my daughter he led the sultan into the princess's apartment the happy father embraced her with his face bathed in tears of joy and the princess on her side showed him all the testimonies of the extreme pleasure the sight of him afforded her the sultan was some time before he could open his lips so great was his surprise and joy to find his daughter again after he had given her up for lost and the princess upon seeing her father let fall tears of rapture and affection. At last the sultan broke silence, and said, I would believe, daughter, your joy to see me makes you seem as little changed as if no misfortune had befallen you. Yet I cannot be persuaded but that you have suffered much alarm, for a large palace cannot be so suddenly transported, as yours has been, without causing great fright and apprehension. I would have you tell me all that has happened, and conceal nothing from me. The princess, who took great pleasure in giving the sultan the satisfaction he demanded, said, If I appear so little altered, I beg of your majesty to consider that I received new life yesterday morning by the presence of my dear husband and deliverer, Allah ad Deen, whom I looked upon and bewailed as lost to me, and the happiness of seeing and embracing of whom has almost recovered me to my former state of health. My greatest suffering was only to find myself forced from your majesty and my dear husband, not only from the love I bore my husband, but from the uneasiness I laboured under, through fear that he, though innocent, might feel the effects of your anger, to which I knew he was left exposed i suffered but little from the insolence of the wretch who had carried me off for having secured the ascendant over him i always put a stop to his disagreeable overtures and was as little constrained as i am at present as to what relates to my transportation alla ad deen had no concern in it i was myself the innocent cause of it to persuade the sultan of the truth of what she said she gave him a full account of how the african magician had disguised himself and offered to change new lamps for old ones how she had amused herself in making that exchange being entirely ignorant of the secret and importance of the wonderful lamp how the palace and herself were carried away and transported into africa with the african magician who was recognised by two of her women and the eunuch who made the exchange of the lamp when he had the audacity after the success of his daring enterprise, to propose himself for her husband. How he persecuted her till Allah ad arrival, how they had concerted measures to get the lamp from him again, and the success they had fortunately met with, by her dissimulation in inviting him to supper, and giving him the cup with the powder prepared for him. For the rest, added she, I leave it to Allah ad to recount had not much to tell the sultan but only said when the private door was opened i went up into the great hall where i found the magician lying dead on the sofa and as i thought it not proper for the princess to stay there any longer i desired her to go down into her own apartment with her women and eunuchs as soon as i was alone and had taken the lamp out of the magician's breast i made use of the same secret he had done to remove the palace, and carry off the princess. And by that means the palace was reconveyed to the place where it stood before, and I have the happiness to restore the princess to your majesty, as you commanded me. But that your majesty may not think that I impose upon you, if you will give yourself the trouble to go up into the hall, you may see the magician punished as he deserved. The sultan, to be assured of the truth, rose instantly, and went into the hall, where, when he saw the African magician dead, and his face already livid by the strength of the poison, he embraced ad- deen with great tenderness, and said, My son, be not displeased at my proceedings against you. They arose from my paternal love, and therefore you ought to forgive the excesses to which it hurried me. Sir, replied Alla I have not the least reason to complain of your majesty's conduct, since you did nothing but what your duty required. This infamous magician, the basest of men, was the sole cause of my misfortune. Where your majesty has leisure, I will give you an account of another villainous action he was guilty of towards me, which was no less black and base than this, from which I was preserved by the providence of God in a very miraculous way i will take an opportunity and that very shortly replied the sultan to hear it but in the meantime let us think only of rejoicing and the removal of this odious object alla ad deen ordered the magician's corpse to be removed and thrown upon a dunghill for birds and beasts to prey upon in the meantime the sultan commanded the drums trumpets cymbals and other instruments of music to announce his joy to the public, and a festival of ten days to be proclaimed for the return of the princess and Allah ad Thus Allah ad escaped once more the almost inevitable danger of losing his life, but this was not the last, since he ran as great a hazard a third time. The African magician had a younger brother, who was equally skilful as a necromancer, and even surpassed him in villainy and pernicious designs. As they did not live together, or in the same city, but oftentimes when one was in the east the other was in the west, they failed not every year to inform themselves by their art, each where the other resided, and whether they stood in need of one another's assistance. Some time after the African magician had failed in his enterprise against Allah ad His younger brother who had heard no tidings of him and was not in africa but in a distant country had the wish to know in what part of the world he sojourned the state of his health and what he was doing and as he as well as his brother always carried a geomantic square instrument about him he prepared the sand cast the points and drew the figures on examining the planetary mansions he found that his brother was no longer living but had been poisoned and by another observation that he was in the capital of the kingdom of china also that the person who had poisoned him was of mean birth though married to a princess a sultan's daughter when the magician had informed himself of his brother's fate he lost no time in useless regret which could not restore him to life but resolving immediately to revenge his death, departed for China, where, after crossing plains, rivers, mountains, deserts, and a long tract of country, without delay, he arrived after incredible fatigues. When he came to the capital of China, he took a lodging. The next day he walked through the town, not so much to observe the beauties, which were indifferent to him, as to take proper measures to execute his pernicious designs. He introduced himself into the most frequented places, where he listened to everybody's discourse. In a place where people resort to divert themselves with games of various kinds, and where some were conversing, while others played, he heard some persons talk of the virtue and piety of a woman called Fatima, who was retired from the world, and of the miracles she wrought as he fancied that this woman might be serviceable to him in the project he had conceived he took one of the company aside and requested to be informed more particularly who that holy woman was and what sort of miracles she performed what said the person whom he addressed have you never seen or heard of her she is the admiration of the whole town for her fasting her austerities and her exemplary life except mondays and fridays she never stirs out of her little cell and on those days on which she comes into the town she does an infinite deal of good for there is not a person that has the headache but is cured by her laying her hand upon them the magician wanted no further information he only asked the person in what part of the town this holy woman's cell was situated after he had informed himself on this head he determined on the detestable design of murdering her and assuming her character with this view he watched all her steps the first day she went out after he had made this inquiry without losing sight of her till evening when he saw her re-enter her cell when he had fully observed the place he went to one of the houses where they sell a certain hot liquor And where any person may pass the night particularly in the great heats when the people of that country prefer lying on a mat to a bed about midnight after the magician had satisfied the master of the house for what little he had called for he went out and proceeded directly to the cell of fatima he had no difficulty to open the door which was only fastened with a latch and he shut it again after he had entered, without any noise. When he entered the cell, he perceived Fatima by moonlight lying in the air on a sofa, covered only by an old mat, with her head leaning against the wall. He awakened her, and clapped a dagger to her breast. The pious Fatima opening her eyes was much surprised to see a man with a dagger at her breast, ready to stab her, and who said to her, If you cry out, or make the least noise, I will kill you. But get up, and do as I shall direct you. Fatima, who had lain down in her habit, got up, trembling with fear. Do not be so much frightened, said the magician. I only want your habit. Give it me, and take mine. Accordingly, Fatima and he changed clothes. He then said to her, Colour my face, that I may be like you but perceiving that the poor creature could not help trembling. To encourage her, he said, I tell you again, you need not fear anything. I swear by the name of God, I will not take away your life. Fatima lighted her lamp, led him into the cell, and dipping a soft brush in a certain liquor, rubbed it over his face, assured him the colour would not change, and that his face was of the same hue as her own, after which she put her own headdress on his head, also a veil, with which she showed him how to hide his face as he passed through the town. After this she put a long string of beads about his neck, which hung down to the middle of his body, and giving him the stick she used to walk with in his hand, brought him a looking-glass, and bade him look if he was not as like her as possible. The magician found himself disguised as he wished to be, but he did not keep the oath he so solemnly swore to the good Fatima. But instead of stabbing her, for fear the blood might discover him, he strangled her, and when he found she was dead, threw her body into a cistern, just by the cell. The magician, thus disguised like the holy woman Fatima, spent the remainder of the night in the cell. The next morning, two hours after sunrise, though it was not a day the holy woman used to go out on, he crept out of the cell, being well persuaded that no one would ask him any questions, or if they should, he had an answer ready for them. As one of the first things he did after his arrival was to find out Allah ad palace, where he was to complete his designs, he went directly thither. As soon as the people saw the holy woman, as they imagined him to be, They presently gathered about him in a great crowd. Some begged his blessing, others kissed his hand, and others, more reserved, only the hem of his garment, while others, whether their heads ached, or they wished to be preserved against that disorder, stooped for him to lay his hands upon them, which he did, muttering some words in form of prayer, and, in short, counterfeited so well that everybody took him for the holy woman. After frequently stopping to satisfy people of this description, who received neither good nor harm from this imposition of hands, he came at last to the square before Allah ad palace. The crowd was so great that the eagerness to get at him increased in proportion. Those who were the most zealous and strong forced their way through the crowd there were such quarrels and so great a noise that the princess who was in the hall of four-and-twenty windows heard it and asked what was the matter but nobody being able to give her an answer she ordered them to inquire and inform her one of her women looked out of the window and then told her it was a great crowd of people collected about the holy woman to be cured of the headache by the imposition of her hands The princess, who had long heard of this holy woman, but had never seen her, was very desirous to have some conversation with her, which the chief of the eunuchs, perceiving, told her it was an easy matter to bring her to her, if she desired and commanded it. And the princess, expressing her wishes, he immediately sent four eunuchs for the pretended holy woman. As soon as the crowd saw the eunuchs, they made way— and the magician, perceiving also that they were coming for him, advanced to meet them, overjoyed to find his plot proceeded so well. "'Holy woman,' said one of the eunuchs, "'the princess wants to see you, and has sent us for you.' "'The princess does me too great an honour, replied the false Fatima. "'I am ready to obey her command,' and at the same time followed the eunuchs to the palace." When the magician, who, under a holy garment, disguised a wicked heart, was introduced into the great hall, and perceived the princess, he began a prayer which contained a long enumeration of vows and good wishes for the princess's health and prosperity, and that she might have everything she desired. He then displayed all his hypocritical rhetoric, to insinuate himself into the princess's favour under the cloak of piety which it was no hard matter for him to do, for as the princess herself was naturally good, she was easily persuaded that all the world were like her, especially those who made profession of serving God in solitude. When the pretended Fatima had finished his long harangue, the princess said to him, I thank you, good mother, for your prayers. I have great confidence in them, and hope God will hear them. Come and sit by me. The false Fatima sat down with affected modesty. The princess, then resuming her discourse, said, My good mother, I have one thing to request, which you must not refuse me. It is to stay with me, that you may edify me with your way of living, and that I may learn from your good example how to serve God. Princess, said the counterfeit Fatima, I beg of you not to ask what I cannot consent to, without neglecting my prayers and devotion. That shall be no hindrance to you, answered the princess. I have a great many apartments unoccupied. You shall choose which you like best, and have as much liberty to perform your devotions as if you were in your own cell. The magician, who desired nothing more than to introduce himself into the palace, where it would be a much easier matter for him to execute his designs under the favour and protection of the princess than if he had been forced to come and go from the cell to the palace did not urge much to excuse himself from accepting the obliging offer which the princess made him princess said he whatever resolution a poor wretched woman as i am may have made me renounce the pomp and grandeur of this world I dare not presume to oppose the will and commands of so pious and charitable a princess. Upon this the princess, rising up, said, Come with me. I will show you what vacant apartments I have, that you may make choice of that you like best. The magician followed the princess, and of all the apartments she showed him, made choice of that which was the worst furnished, saying it was too good for him, and that he only accepted of it to please her. Afterwards the princess would have brought him back again into the great hall, to make him dine with her, but he, considering that he should then be obliged to show his face, which he had always taken care to conceal, and fearing that the princess should find out that he was not Fatima, he begged of her earnestly to excuse him, telling her that he never ate anything but bread and dried fruits, and desiring to eat that slight repast in his own apartment. The princess granted his request, saying, You may be as free here, good mother, as if you were in your own cell. I will order you a dinner. But remember, I expect you, as soon as you have finished your repast. After the princess had dined, and the false Fatima had been informed by one of the eunuchs that she was risen from table, he failed not to wait upon her. "'My good mother,' said the princess, "'I am overjoyed to have the company of so holy a woman as yourself, who will confer a blessing upon this palace. But now I am speaking of the palace. Pray, how do you like it?' "'And before I show it all to you, tell me first what you think of this hall upon this question the counterfeit fatima who to act his part the better affected to hang down his head without so much as ever once lifting it at last looked up and surveyed the hall from one end to the other when he had examined it well he said to the princess as far as such a solitary being as i am who am unacquainted with what the world calls beautiful can judge this hall is truly admirable and most beautiful there wants but one thing what is that good mother demanded the princess tell me i conjure you for my part i always believed and have heard say it wanted nothing but if it does it shall be supplied princess said the false fatima with great dissimulation forgive me the liberty i have taken but my opinion is if it can be of any importance that if a rose egg were hung up in the middle of the dome this hall would have no parallel in the four quarters of the world and your palace would be the wonder of the universe my good mother said the princess what bird is a roe and where may one get an egg princess replied the pretended fatima it is a bird of prodigious size which inhabits the summit of mount caucasus the architect who built your palace can get you one after the princess had thanked the false fatima for what she believed her good advice she conversed with her upon other matters but could not forget the rose egg which she resolved to request of allah ad deen when he returned from hunting he had been gone six days which the magician knew and therefore took advantage of his absence, but he returned that evening, after the false Fatima had taken leave of the princess, and retired to his apartment. As soon as he arrived, he went directly to the princess's apartment, saluted and embraced her, but she seemed to receive him coldly. "'My princess,' said he, "'I think you are not so cheerful as you used to be. Has anything happened during my absence?' which has displeased you, or given you any trouble or dissatisfaction? In the name of God, do not conceal it from me. I will leave nothing undone that is in my power to please you. "'It is a trifling matter,' replied the princess, "'which gives me so little concern that I could not have thought you could have perceived it in my countenance. But since you have unexpectedly discovered some alteration— I WILL NO LONGER DISGUISE A MATTER OF SO LITTLE CONSEQUENCE FROM YOU. I ALWAYS BELIEVED, CONTINUED THE PRINCESS, THAT OUR PALACE WAS THE MOST SUPERB, MAGNIFICENT, AND COMPLETE IN THE WORLD, BUT I WILL TELL YOU NOW WHAT I FIND FAULT WITH, UPON EXAMINING THE HALL OF 4 and twenty WINDOWS. DO NOT YOU THINK WITH ME THAT IT WOULD BE COMPLETE IF A ROSE EGG WERE HUNG UP IN THE MIDST OF THE DOME? princess replied alla ad deen it is enough that you think there wants such an ornament you shall see by the diligence used to supply that deficiency that there is nothing which i would not do for your sake alla ad deen left the princess buddir al Bador that moment and went up into the hall of four-and-twenty windows where pulling out of his bosom the lamp which after the danger he had been exposed to he always carried about him he rubbed it upon which the genie immediately appeared genie said alla ad there wants a rose egg to be hung up in the midst of the dome. I command thee in the name of this lamp to repair the deficiency. Aladdin had no sooner pronounced these words than the genie gave so loud and terrible a cry that the hall shook, and alla ad could scarcely stand upright. What! "'Wretch!' said the genie, in a voice that would have made the most undaunted man tremble. "'Is it not enough that I and my companions have done everything for you? But you, by an unheard of ingratitude, must command me to bring my master, and hang him up in the midst of this dome. This attempt deserves that you, your wife, and your palace—' "'should be immediately reduced to ashes. "'But you are happy that this request does not come from yourself. "'Know, then, that the true author is the brother of the African magician, "'your enemy, whom you have destroyed as he deserved. "'He is now in your palace, disguised in the habit of the holy woman Fatima, "'whom he has murdered, and it is he who has suggested to your wife "'to make this pernicious demand.' His design is to kill you. Therefore, take care of yourself. After these words, the genie disappeared. Allah ad lost not a word of what the genie had said. He had heard talk of the holy woman Fatima, and how she pretended to cure the headache. He returned to the princess's apartment, and without mentioning a word of what had happened, sat down and complained of a great pain which had suddenly seized his head upon which the princess ordered the holy woman to be called, and then told him how she had invited her to the palace, and that she had appointed her an apartment. When the pretended Fatima came, Allah ad Deen said, Come hither, good mother. I am glad to see you here, at so fortunate a time. I am tormented with a violent pain in my head, and request your assistance, by the confidence I have in your good prayers, and hope you will not refuse me that favour which you do to so many persons afflicted with this complaint. So saying, he arose, but held down his head. The counterfeit Fatima advanced towards him, with his hand all the time on a dagger concealed in his girdle under his gown, which, Allah ad Deen observing, he seized his hand before he had drawn it, pierced him to the heart with his own dagger, and then pushed him down on the floor. "'My dear husband, what have you done?' cried the princess in surprise. "'You have killed the holy woman.' "'No, my princess,' answered Allah ad with emotion. "'I have not killed Fatima, but a villain who would have assassinated me "'if I had not prevented him. "'This wicked wretch,' added he, uncovering his face, "'has strangled Fatima, whom you accuse me of killing, "'and disguised himself in her clothes.' with intent to murder me. But that you may know him better, he is brother to the African magician. Allah ad then informed her how he came to know these particulars, and afterwards ordered the dead body to be taken away. Thus was Alla ad delivered from the persecution of two brothers who were magicians. Within a few years afterwards, the sultan died in a good old age, And as he left no male children, the princess Budir al-Budur, as lawful heir of the throne, succeeded him. And, communicating the power to Allah ad they reigned together many years, and left a numerous and illustrious posterity. End of section 23 End of the story of Allah ad or The Wonderful Lamp